Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we're reviewing our pumpkin crumb cake muffins from Sally's Baking Addiction. Were these the perfect start to our fall baking? We'll also introduce a retro pumpkin chiffon pie and discuss one of its most crucial components, gelatin, during our Importance of Ingredients segment. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, do you remember last episode in episode 94 when we were kicking off our pumpkin palooza month, you gave the caution to listeners that if they wanted to substitute homemade pumpkin puree to to take a little care and a little uh, extra caution with that because it didn't always act the same as the canned pumpkin puree. Yeah, I think my recommendation was to make sure they strained it or somehow like got the liquid out because otherwise it is a lot more watery than canned pumpkin. Well, I just ran across an article that may explain why that is. Oh. Even though the can says 100% pumpkin, it's not necessarily 100% pumpkin. <laughs> oh, what? I what? know. Baking conspiracy theories. Uh-oh. Do you understand labeling? I sure do not. All right. So in the U.S. and uh, worldwide, the pumpkin that you are probably eating is from the U.S. But the United States Department of Agriculture, the USDA, lets 100% pure pumpkin actually be a combination of all winter squash. And when I read this, it's like a light bulb went off in my head because so often if I'm talking to people or I've had this experience myself, I make the homemade pumpkin. I think it's going to be so much better. It's going to have a great taste. It's going to just be so superior. And it doesn't taste the same to me. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's because my entire pumpkin, 100% pumpkin <laughs> eating life, I've actually been eating this melange of winter squash and had no idea. Oh, interesting. I did not know that either. So that's good. I'm glad you did a little research. It pays to read those cans sometimes, doesn't it? So that could be why it's tasting and acting differently. And I realized the other thing we didn't call out is if you are wanting to make it yourself, and I I think it's definitely worth it. I was just chatting with listener Lauren on the Facebook page, and she was saying she roasts hers, which I think is the way to go. It's such a nice additional flavor boost. I've also done a version in the crock pot, so you can set it and forget it to cook your pumpkin. You want those to be sugar pie pumpkins. It's really hard to do that with a jack-o'-lantern. Jack-o'-lantern pumpkins, those big ones, they're bred to be big and to carve they're not really bred to eat by humans you can feed them to (laughs) livestock (laughs) unless you're cooking up puree for your livestock do make sure you're using a sweet sugar pie pumpkin they're the smaller ones and they will be labeled as such at your farmer's markets or wherever you are but um, just another thing I realized that we hadn't specifically called out Yeah, that's a good tip. And that reminds me, as you know, I am the winter squash pie champion of um, the Eastside Urban Farm Store. Mm, I do know. (laughs) I made that particular pie using delicata squash, I think, or kabocha squash. I didn't even use a sugar. I didn't use canned pumpkin and I didn't use a, a sugar pie pumpkin. I used one that I would typically buy more to put olive oil and salt and pepper on and roast in the oven. So 
That's interesting, right? Let's talk about our pumpkin crumb cake muffins from Sally's Baking Addiction. One fun thing I wanted to point out first is listener Bridget jumped in right away and mentioned that she has made this particular recipe, I think, two or three times before and absolutely loved it. So it's nice that we have a a thumbs up from one of our listeners. Yeah, we had thought we could call that a preheated preview. Love that. Thank you, Bridget, for inspiring a whole new language, a whole new title in our podcast. That's right. I love it. What about you, Stefan? How did these particular muffins turn out for you? Well, one fun thing I want to point out right at the beginning is Sally needs to change the name. These aren't muffins. (laughs) These are cupcakes. So let's call a spade a spade. (laughs) I put a big circle around the cake in the recipe because I printed my recipe out. And when I was making notes about what I thought about it, I did the exact same thing in my Sharpie. I just circled cake like five times. Yep, yep. (laughs) These are a delicious little cake. So just go go in knowing that you're going to be really pleased with yourself. Last episode when we introduced these, I was really hoping for a moist pumpkin muffin that looked very professional. You've got this nice crumb topping and a maple icing and that's what I got here these in my mind were bakery ready they just looked so professional had that moist moist pumpkin base your crumb topping and your maple icing I thought it was a very straightforward recipe the wet goes into the dry ingredients there in your first section I had a little question Andrea I wanted to ask you I did the standard size muffin tins and we talked about that last episode as well Sally doesn't call out how much crumb topping to use per muffin. I ended up using about two tablespoons. Do you have an idea how much you might have used? I went through and I did one tablespoon on top of each. And I did do the 15 muffins. So I did one tablespoon on top of each. And then I had almost an equal amount left over. So I went back and did another round. I was worried about running out. And that was the exact opposite of what happened. If anything, I had a little too much. Okay. So on some, I piled probably even more than two tablespoons. Okay. So you might just go through as Andrea did there and and make sure everybody's covered and then go back and sprinkle some more. But I think mine was probably a generous two tablespoons on each. And then you've got your maple icing. It's optional, but don't skip it. It's delicious. It's very easy. I used single cream instead of milk because why not? (laughs) And I might have preferred a little more maple-y. That maple flavor didn't sing so much to me. Uh, So I might play around in the future with my liquid measurements there just to to bring the maple a little more to the forefront. Of course, you could also use a maple extract just to to really bring that out. But uh, they were moist. They were beautiful. They were easy enough. I liked them a lot. How about you, Andrea? I had a great experience with these as well. I was a little intimidated when I saw they had 16 ingredients. I'm not including (laughs) the maple icing because that was listed as optional. So 16 ingredients for the regular recipe. But I was amazed to find I did not have to go to the store for anything. I had every single thing in the pantry. Yeah, yes. Part of that is because I do buy my canned pumpkin at the beginning of the season. So I, I stock up on that. That might be something you'd have to go out and get. I also think this is a good time to check your pumpkin pie spice. If like me, and maybe you haven't pulled it out since last fall, might be time for some new pumpkin pie spice. Or of course, you can always make your own with a mixture of nutmeg and cinnamon and cloves and allspice and you you don't have to buy, you know, the pre-batched pumpkin pie spice. Yeah. But do make sure it's not too tired. 
I skipped the maple icing only because um, I'm not a huge maple fan. Oh. I like icing. Oh, okay. Maple's not my favorite flavor, and I really wanted the pumpkin to come through on this, and I felt like it already had, you know, the, the crumb topping. So I thought it would be pretty and probably taste good, but since she listed it as optional, I, I took her up on that. Okay. I served it to my husband. He absolutely loved it. He said, this tastes like coffee cake, and I think that's because of the crumb topping. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought this was really great. The one thing I did run into uh, that was a little bit tricky, I loved in this recipe that she used both the volume and the weights because I really enjoyed using my kitchen scale. Mm -hmm. Not just because I get more accurate results, which is important, but because I get so much less dirty yes dishes <laughs> yeah yeah no more measuring cups yeah it's fantastic yeah it's really nice but the one thing that happens as you're making it is when you switch from you know the dry ingredients to the wet ingredients the canola or vegetable oil is in milliliters and the sugars mm-hmm. are in grams mm-hmm. and I almost forgot to switch the measurement on my scale that the last minute I caught that so just something if you're not used to working with weights like I am you know make sure you're paying attention and not just keeping everything on grams and not forgetting to switch to milliliters for your liquid ingredients like your oil and your milk. Yeah, that's a good point. And you know, when I was using my kitchen scale on this recipe, it made me think of another birthday gift I want. Oh, so you know, listeners that you can get me a cherry pitter, you could also get me (laughs) an extra or, or two, two or three extra of the the scale base so that when you're doing because this is a great recipe for this because you're going between something kind of wet like the pumpkin to something dry and then it just gets kind of soggy and you're making a mess and leaving bits and pieces behind and having to run and wash it out so they've got to make just extras you can buy of that so I have to put that on my list I don't understand an extra scale base Mm, sorry not the base the uh, what do you call it the mine's plastic it sits on the base you put the stuff in it the oh okay Yes, you know, the like little, little bowl <laughs> to be really technical. <laughs> well, mine is a glass shelf. Okay, okay. That's why I was oh, confused. It. And it's okay. fused to the the four feet that it sits on the counter. So that's why I was I was just a little confused about that. Yeah, so I do often have to put mine in the sink and run water Got over it. it to clean it up. Okay. So I see, I see where you're going with that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's a plastic bowl. And I'm just guessing that I can buy extras of those. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 You've got to be mm-hmm. able to. Yes. Yep, yep. It sounds like we both had good success with these muffins. And of course, we weren't really surprised. Sally's Baking Addiction is a great website. And we made her monkey bread in March during our uh, bread month. And that was episode 69. If you want another uh, recipe that would also be really good in the fall. Yes, another two thumbs up successful recipe from Sally's Baking Addiction. So thank you, Sally. We love this recipe. Well, up next, Andrea, I am just really delighted that we are doing this pie. It is a coconut pumpkin chiffon pie. And I have to tell you, I have been a bit obsessed with a chiffon (laughs) pie since I first laid my hands on one of my favorite cookbooks. I speak of Five Seasons of Cranberries by Better Homes and Gardens and published in the uh, late (laughs) 60s. It is fabulous. Now, did you think you could only eat cranberries at, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas? You are wrong. You can't eat them in not four, but five seasons of the year, Andrea. So I was just going to say, when is this <laughs> mythical fifth season that I didn't even I know. know existed? I think it's cranberry season. In this book, which has lots of luscious desserts, the cover picture is a picture of a cranberry chiffon pie. And it just has always really intrigued me. And it seems like such an old-fashioned dessert. Mm -hmm. It 
is a kind of a standard single crust for people who don't know and then almost a mousse-like filling and the way you're going to achieve this consistency in the cranberry chiffon but then in this pumpkin chiffon pie that we're talking about today is with gelatin and we're going to get back to that in a bit but if you think of a normal or traditional pumpkin pie it has just a dense more of a custard and this should if we're doing this correctly be more like a mousse or a lighter fluffier texture Andrea have you what's your experience with chiffon pie are you I mean this is a first for me is this for you as well yeah this is not a first for me chiffon pies are very popular in the south and I thought well this is great this is from southern living and this makes sense and then I thought to myself you know I'm gonna do a little research and just look up a chiffon pie lo and behold the chiffon pie was invented in 1926 Mm -hmm. not in the south but in California (gasps) yeah Mm -hmm. glamorous yes yes by Monroe (laughs) Strauss otherwise known as the pie king oh my god what a great name Monroe I know Biking. So a chiffon pie is, a, as you described, an airy, sometimes fruity filling. A lot yeah. of times this is done with fruits, like you mentioned with your cranberry. Yeah. And typically it involves three components, a meringue, a filling, and gelatin. Okay. And so those three things are what take your traditional either, you know, fruit pie or custard pie and really make it light and fluffy. Yeah. This particular recipe has a video, so I strongly recommend that you go and take a look at the video. I learned a couple of things by watching the video that I did want to call out before we make this pie that I'm going to do, and they're not mentioned in the recipe. Okay, great. On the video, she gives a couple of, as she calls them, pro tips. Number one is the first part of this recipe is you whisk together the milk and the gelatin in a saucepan. You let it stand for a minute and then you cook it over medium heat and let it dissolve. Then you stir in your mixture of pumpkin, cinnamon, salt, nutmeg, and ginger Mm -hmm. and you cook it five to seven minutes until it's slightly thickened. And then the step says transfer to a bowl, chill 40 minutes or to room temperature, stirring halfway through. And on the video, she said this step is key. You do not skip this step. Okay. It's really important to let that pumpkin mixture come to room temperature. In the video, she said actually let it sit 30 to 40 minutes at room temperature and stir it every 5 to 10 minutes. And you don't want the mixture to get too firm because then when you mix the meringue in, um, the meringue could actually collapse. Okay. And you don't want the meringue to collapse. You want it to be light and airy. Okay. The second on the video in the ingredients in the crust and on the top she specifies a sweetened shredded coconut yes usually when I buy coconut I just go to the baking aisle in the grocery store and I get the shredded coconut which is the small shred Mm -hmm. but in the video the coconut she used on the topping was those big curls or I think sometimes they're called coconut chips I know that my co-op sells those, so I'm going to see if I can find those coconut chips for the topping, just because I think they're a little bit prettier to have those big girls on top. Pretty. Yes, absolutely. And her final tip related to cutting it, and that was to use a hot knife when you are cutting into chilled pies. I love it. And that way you will get a perfect slice. So... After I bake this and I let it sit and cool to room temperature and I put my coconut chips on top, when I'm done, I do plan to cut it using a hot knife. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so dramatic. Like you have the, you know, you can bring it out of the like long container of boiling water, your your spear, and then slice into it. Um, I love it. 
Thank you for that. That when there sure. is a video, it can be so, so helpful. It really is. I wanted to point out too that there are uncooked eggs in this because you are making a meringue. You are cooking the egg yolks with that first mixture that Andrea was talking about where you're cooking with the gelatin and the spices for a few minutes. But then you are making a meringue. It is it is uncooked egg there. So do what you need to do to feel comfortable if that's using eggs that you're very comfortable with. I would not recommend a pasteurized egg product here because I do not believe it whips into meringue well. Andrea, I'm going to have two issues, actually three, with ingredients. Okay, so this was this was the next item on my list to ask okay. you. <laughs> so yes, yes. I thought, okay, at, at first I panicked when I was looking through these ingredients, and I thought, what was I thinking? I picked a recipe that has the envelopes of gelatin powder. I know Stefan mm-hmm. can't get that. Mm-hmm. I picked a recipe that has graham cracker crumbs. I know she can't get that. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered that you picked this recipe. So I know. <laughs> I did. Explain, my friend. I just felt like October wasn't enough of a challenge for me. So (laughs) first of all, we're going to talk about this in just a moment when we do our importance of ingredients segment. But I have become much more confident with the leaf gelatin, which is what's more readily available here in England. So I'm going to do a substitute that I will talk a little bit more about in a moment. That's number one. Number two is the sweetened coconut. I can find what's called desiccated coconut here, which is coconut that's been shredded, but there's no sweetener attached to it. So it's very dry. Okay. It is not the same product. So it works in some things, but it will not work where I need it to work here. I'm going to go to the American food store (laughs) and get some of that. (laughs) And then hoard it like the bag of gold it is. Oh my gosh. What are you going to end up? spending for that sweet and shredded coconut I'm scared okay well the holidays are coming and I do love to make like a coconut macaroon so it will be put to good good use I want to add that I think this is a great test run for your Thanksgiving table and in fact when I found the video obviously you might not be doing Thanksgiving in England but you know for those of us celebrating Thanksgiving in the States when I found the video on this particular pie it came from an article that said something like your Thanksgiving table is not complete without this pie well I know. excellent <laughs> and then the third one is the graham crackers which yep i just cannot get those here but i already know what i'm going to substitute and it is a cookie or a biscuit called a ginger nut which is a ginger snap and i think that's going to go really well with the oh. coconut and the pumpkin and i dearly love those so i'm going to just crush them up fine in the same proportions and go with that Yeah, I think that sounds like a great plan. I love my ginger snap. So that'll be interesting to see how that turns out for you. I am so excited. I think you're right, Andrea. As as far as the pumpkin pie, you know, in the past, in uh, our first Thanksgiving or November set of episodes, we had a big controversy because my husband wanted to buy (laughs) a pumpkin pie. And then you also made a pumpkin um, semifredo. And Sometimes when you fiddle with the traditional pumpkin pie, it doesn't it doesn't work out for you. So maybe this is going to be one that supplants your traditional. Maybe it's going to be a nice other pumpkin pie to have uh, at Thanksgiving or at other times of the year. So we're really excited to give it a shot. And I wanted to add, you mentioned about the egg whites being included, you know, the raw egg whites. And so yep. for listeners who aren't comfortable with that, when I was reading about Monroe Strauss, the pie king, <laughs> he... he <laughs> 
mentions also a mock chiffon pie, oh. which was made with a flavored gelatin packet and artificial whipped cream substitute, which I think means Cool Whip, that, that sort sounds, of thing. Sounds right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah go so for that. So the yeah. mock chiffon pie. But the thing that made me laugh the most is when I saw this phrase, it particular said, his most influential invention, the delicate chiffon pie, is now considered dietarily incorrect because its filling, a cornstarch-thickened liquid folded into beaten egg whites, involves raw egg. Oh. So I thought, oh, Monroe, what were you thinking? Monroe, we are dietarily incorrect. But in, ni- in 1926, he was dead on, and he sold this pie, by the way, for a staggering price of $1.90 $1.90 per pie. Wow. So that kind of gives you an idea of how things have changed. So it's like more like 20 cents per yeah. slice. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can sell yours for more. We'll have to check back. <laughs> how much would you? Did you like it? And how much are you going to price your pie at? Oh, gosh. I love it. And just a, just one final note on folding egg whites in. Andrea, you alluded to this earlier when we were talking about the, that step. But that's something you want to do really carefully because you want it to be light and airy. And if you go in there and are really vigorous about, about blending it in, you're going to deflate all that meringue that you've just worked to whip up. So just use a really cautious rubber spatula and, and be gentle with yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Good tip. Excellent. So remember, we will have a link to both of these recipes, the pumpkin crumb cake muffins from Sally's Baking Addiction, as well as this new bake-along, the coconut pumpkin chiffon pie from Southern Living, in our show notes for this episode, which is episode 95, up on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as our Facebook page. Stefan, it's been a little while since we've had an importance of ingredients segment, but our pumpkin chiffon pie this week provides us with a good opportunity to talk about one of its crucial ingredients, gelatin. So here we are. That's right. I think gelatin is such an old-fashioned ingredient that has fallen out of favor a little bit. In applications apart from just whipping up a box of lime jello, it might be a little mysterious to home bakers, but it's actually a great and can be very economical way to add thickness without fat, and it can actually be quick and easy once you get the hang of it. Yeah, I remember um, back when we did our butterscotch pie with curry crust that was back in episode 63 yes you had to end up using something called leaf gelatin and I had only ever heard of powered gelatin so go ahead and talk us through gelatin 101 Gelatin, it's a tasteless, odorless gelling agent made from the collagen of animals. And Andrea, I know that both you and I do our own chicken stock. So if listeners, if you have ever boiled chicken bones for homemade stock, you'll find that natural gelatin is a byproduct of that process. So when heated slowly, this collagen breaks down into gelatin, which can then be used to thicken liquid into a more solid state. And it comes in two primary forms for home bakers, the leaf gelatin that I use here and the powder that you're using there. Powdered gelatin looks like what it says it is, powdered. And in the U.S., this is that little orange box of Nox unflavored gelatin. I love to say that, box of Nox. <laughs> Leaf gelatin, however, which is much more popular in Europe, is gelatin that has been melted and reformed into thin sheets. It looks a little bit like plastic squares, and they are a little bit on the brittle side. What you use kind of comes down to where you are in the world and also your preference. Powdered gelatin is more popular in the U.S., but cooks worldwide sometimes prefer leaf gelatin in different applications because it can be less gritty and allow for a clearer set if you're making a jelly, as we say in the U.K. 
This week's bake-along, our pumpkin chiffon pie, relies on the gelatin to thicken the filling, as opposed to maybe heavy cream or condensed milk or cornstarch, and you add it to some warm milk right at the beginning of the recipe. That's right. So with both types of gelatin, you have to dissolve it into a little bit of liquid, which is sometimes called blooming. You can't add it right in with the other ingredients as it is. And many cooks think you should add it to the other ingredients while those other ingredients are warm to avoid something called roping. And that is when the strands of gelatin are visible after having cooled too quickly. In this pumpkin chiffon pie, you dissolve the powdered gelatin into the warm milk, and then you add the other ingredients. Since I'm using leaf gelatin, I will let it soften in some warm water first, and then I'll add it to the warm milk, and it will dissolve completely. So it's just one additional step there. I've also noticed that gelatin continues to work while it's in the recipe. So a pudding or a pie filling that may be a little bit softer earlier in the week, as time goes on, it could get a little harder or more firm. So by the time you're eating the last slice a few days later, you can notice a real texture difference. Yes, and there's also a lot of confusion out there about substituting the leaf for the powdered gelatin, and some cooks say you shouldn't even try it. I personally, I think I've had good success substituting the leaf for powdered in the recipes that we've made while I've been here, but you do want to take your time if you need to substitute one for the other, as there are some calculations involved as far as, you know, the amount of product you'll need to use and what you need to do to get it ready. Okay. Andrea, I was also fascinated to learn that gelatin from different countries can have different strengths. And this mainly comes down to the type of animal collagen that's used. Oh. If you're shopping in a different country than the one your recipe was written in, you might need to experiment a little. A good resource is the Modernist Pantry. It's uh, modernistpantry.com. And it's actually a commerce site, but it has lots of great info on the food and the supplies it sells, including gelatin. So we'll link to that in the show notes for this episode, episode 95. Oh, that's interesting. You know, Christopher Kemble, we've talked about him um, several times. Oh, yeah. I was reading an article he wrote recently where someone asked him, what are the top five ingredients that you need in baking? And he listed gelatin mm-hmm. as one of them. I mean, he oh, said yeah. it is transformational. So yes. even these sort of um, what I think of as like highfalutin cooks, you know, are still having to use gelatin to yeah. make these things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So switching uh, topics a little bit, since gelatin by nature comes from animals, do you know of any options for vegetarians, vegans, or people who have religious dietary restrictions? Yes, there are several. So there's the gelatin made with seaweed extract, which is known as agar or carrageenan. And there's also plant extracts, pectin and konjac. Also, you've probably seen guar gum or xanthan gum um, for commercially prepared foods, especially low or non-fat foods like yogurt, where they're trying to replicate the mouthfeel of a fattier product. Oh, yeah. Yes. So research into synthetic collagen is ongoing, but it's not there yet. We are going to use just regular old gelatin in this chiffon pie, but it is a key ingredient in many foods we know and love, like some traditional October favorites like marshmallows and candy corn. That's right. And a whole variety of non-food items too, like cosmetics and medication capsules. Stefan, I have to share one final gelatin thought, and I hope my mother's not listening. (laughs) Cover your ears, Betty. (laughs) This did remind me as a child, I used to sometimes sneak into the pantry and gosh, this is embarrassing, but I would cut open a packet of the Jell-O brand like instant pudding and just sort of eat it. Mm. (laughs) 
<laughs> straight from the packet. Mm. And that habit stopped one day when I pulled out the box of Knox gelatin. And on the oh. picture on the box, they have some lovely dessert. Yes, of, of course. course. And so I, you know, I tore the corner off and I tilted it into my mouth. And I tell you, a mouthful of plain unflavored gelatin powder, mm. that's, that's not good. <laughs> and <laughs> you try to wash it down with milk, it's fairly unpleasant. So... <laughs> Oh, was it getting all like gluey and gummy in your mouth as well? Yeah, it's just, it was not, it was oh, not dear. good. So okay. um, anyway, that's, that's my gelatin memories there. That's so funny that you brought up your mother in relation to Jello because I have a memory of my mom and Jello also. So <laughs> I went to a cooperative preschool when I was, you know, before kindergarten age and part of the deal with co-ops is that you take turns, you know, bringing in snacks or something. And yeah. you can tell by this story that I grew up in the 70s because when it was my mom's turn to bring snacks, she always brought finger jello, which is just the jello cubes oh, yeah. cut into squares. And I believe it was Knox who who popularized those. In fact, they were called Knox blocks. So even though I think jello jigglers might be kind of what people know them as now, oh. to this day, my mother still refers to them as Knox blocks. I love that. Can you imagine someone bringing finger jello for a snack these days? I don't think that would go go over very well. <laughs> I'm just imagining all the kids diving in and their little grubby little hands touching all the jello. Super popular and then like wiggling it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Stefan, thanks for filling us in on this super important ingredient. I will never look at a box of jello the same way again. <laughs> And listeners, if you guys are mystified on a particular ingredient or just want to explore it more in depth, please do let Stefan or me know about it. We would love to feature ingredients in our Importance of Ingredients segments. You can send us an email at host at preheatedpodcast.com or post a suggestion on our Facebook page. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get this episode onto the cooling rack. Next week, we'll review our pumpkin chiffon pie and introduce a pumpkin soft pretzel that uses our theme ingredient in a way that's new to both your hosts. And you won't want to miss Andrea's amazing interview with Julia O'Malley, the premier expert on the foods of Alaska. Think you have a hard time sourcing ingredients? Wait till you hear about life in the 49th state. Thanks as always to Anne-Marie Russell for her theme music. You can find Anne-Marie's music on Amazon and iTunes or check out her website, annemarierussell.com. And remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at preheatedpod. If you like our show, please tell a friend and help them subscribe. And also consider ranking and reviewing us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.